For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Listen, I know you've hit the fancy football wall. Who hasn't? We're 10 weeks into the season. But if you're going to watch one more video for the rest of the year, this is it. At least for week 10. We look ahead after looking back at week nine. The stats, the film, put the two together with Hayden Winks' fancy usage model. If you've never tuned into the show, it's our favorite one of the week. We will show you highlights, all 22, of how all these players from every single team created their fantasy production with the stats to back it up and project that for next week and the rest of the season. Hayden, did I cover it? You got it. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. We'll kick it off in alphabetical order this time. Next week, I promise all of you, we'll go in reverse order. But we start with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, James Conner returned, albeit not to a ton of fantasy points, but to a lot of participation. 70% in both the rushing and receiving game en route to seven carries for 45 yards, five for 19 yards in the receiving game. Uh, where he was going, we projected this type of, of you know role for him. And Hayden, if I can have some optimism here to start off with, he might be a player that people should be advocating or trying to trade for because to me, it's a huge positive that coming immediately back from injury, Chase Edmonds' role is not going to Eno Benjamin. Yeah, Eno Benjamin only had 2.8 expected half PPR points last week. James Conner was at 8.5, and I think that would have been higher if the Cardinals' offense was moving the ball a little bit better. James Conner is one of these players that's very easy to trade for because nobody likes him in fantasy, especially after all these uh, games where he's missed with a rib injury. Now, with the rib injuries, you don't typically have a setback, and you're not coming back and playing through like a high ankle sprain or something like that. In my opinion, I thought that James Conner looked pretty good out in space on a couple of these plays. Definitely, he's going to be the check down guy. And I think that if they can finally get Rodney Hudson and maybe some of these other guards back in the lineup, they can actually move the ball in that capacity. So um, I think he's going to be an upside RB2. I think they'll have some weeks where he scores two touchdowns, catches four passes, and going to be a guy that you need. Uh, but I think for the most part, the Cardinals offense is pretty mid in general. Um, mm. So I'm going to be ranking him as probably like somewhere between like RB10 to RB15, kind of depending on the matchup. I think mid, as the children say, uh, applies right now because of, let's say, the offensive line talent more so than everything else. Because this is also a team that could improve down the stretch with Marquise Brown coming back. We've already seen it in the last three weeks out of this Cardinals team. They have scored a touchdown on 75% of their red zone drives so far this season. Um, also did want to bring up Rondale Moore because these last two weeks have been fantastic for him. 10 targets, eight receptions, 69 yards. Uh, he had a really awesome throw from Kyler Murray in his own end zone. You know, DeAndre Hopkins has been a top seven wide receiver in fantasy points per game since his return. Marquise Brown, prior to his injury, was the wide receiver 10 in fantasy points per game. Uh, Rondale Moore is creeping in there with like an average of eight or nine or 10, depending on your scoring. None have played together all three at the same time. So what's our uh, expectation when let's say 
Rondale does feature with the other two, you know, first round wide receiver talents. So with DeAndre right now, he's the wide receiver five, wide receiver five fantasy usage over the last month of, of the year. Uh, I think when Marquise comes back, he'll probably head, head towards probably like wide receiver 10, wide receiver 12-ish. And then Rondale's been a wide receiver three over the last couple of weeks. He's playing in two wide receiver sets. Now this last right. week, the Cardinals did play in more three wide receiver sets, but Robbie Anderson has made so many mistakes. And it's not just, he's not earning any targets. Uh, as the young ones say. So Rondell's been a solid wide receiver three. And I think until Marquise Brown comes back, I think that's kind of where he belongs. I think that there are some serious splits with, with Zach Ertz here um, with DeAndre Hopkins, 9.1 expected half PPR points in the games before that, that was up at 13.4, pretty similar to the splits that he had in 2020 as well. Uh, he is leading the NFL. Zach Ertz is in targets of his t- team's percentage inside the 10 yard line this season across the league at 43 and a half percent scored four touchdowns. And that won't hold five receptions. That will not that won't hold. hold. Yeah, um, just quickly on Rondell Moore, there's a huge difference, albeit it's not Christian Kirk's role from last year. I don't want people to get in their in their head because it's not a vertical slot. That's what Christian Kirk was. There's a, a massive change from let's say the 1.1 a dot he had last year versus like the four and a half a dot that we've seen over these last two weeks because you're you're transforming the targets that he gets at the line of scrimmage to ones that he's now you know, five-yard stick routes from the slot over the middle of the field that he's maximizing against off coverage or, you know, open spaces on the defense. And he's making one to two people miss. He did that against the Vikings. He he's in this, he did that this past weekend too. And that's how you, then you create big plays. So we're not seeing like, and a couple more downfield routes as well. So on some level, this is a much larger ceiling role from Rondo Moore compared to last year. Um, but it's still like not a traditional wide receiver stuff. It's this weird, like no man's land that we're almost in with it. Uh, among the uh, wide receivers it, who qualified in my model, uh, only Greg Dortch, his teammate, has a lower A dot than Rondale right. Moore. Uh, but this is a different off offense for Rondale. Uh, only 14% of his targets have traveled more than 15 yards downfield. So it's it's still a Rondale Moore role, but it's a, at least it's a, a different little one. Bit it's different. a better one. It's a, it's it's better. By a I mean. Bit. For all of you, if you want to go back and watch the two games from last week or, or any Cardinals mm-hmm. game in the future, just sitting in that five-yard area yeah. that he just is right there for Kyler is making such a massive difference for the production that Rondell brings to the table. And I will say we, we've we been pretty kind of skeptical about Rondell Moore and fantasy in the podcast yeah. for the last couple of years. I think rightfully so. At the same time, we've always thought that the kid can play. Like He is yep. a dynamic after-the-catch guy. Whenever he gets the ball in his hands, he is a fun watch. I'm happy for him right now. This is like kind of the role that he belongs in. I do fear that will be short lived once Marquise Brown does come back. It's your first time checking out this video each and every week. About 60% of you that watch it are not subscribed to the channel. I do not understand that. You should change that immediately. Okay. Hit thumbs up, hit subscribe down below. We've got content nearly every single day of the week, including Thursday and Friday with our rankings and weekly preview show, as well as, you know, a little show called scheme with Josh McCown that we have every single Friday morning on this channel too. This week it's on Justin Fields, who we'll get to in a minute here. Atlanta Falcons, another injured running back returned. That's uh, Cordell Patterson. He went for 13 carries, 44 yards, and two scores. Tyler Algier, 10 carries, 99 yards, with a long run of 44, which we didn't know Tyler had in his bag. And then Caleb Huntley still got seven carries. So, like, where are you at with CPAT, who, prior to his injury, was another one of these players who was top 10 at his position in points per game? I think this is 
more or less going to be kind of the workload that he's going to have. And he's going to have to be very efficient to pay off uh, like an wide or RB2 kind of price tag. But I think he's going to be good enough to do it. He looked awesome. He even had like a 40-yard touchdown called back on a run as well. The first, I think this was the first play of the game. Maybe CPAT lined up outside, got him going in space. And he always is doing the explosive plays stuff. And then he ran, I mean... The probably the truck stick of the year uh, for uh, his other touchdown um, is the goal line back on this series. Oh. On this one, uh, there was a couple of passing plays, and they bring CPAC back in and finishes off with a score. I'm not sure if they'll keep Caleb Huntley involved in in the mix, um, but I do think that Tyler Algier will be playing probably 40% of the snaps, a lot of them on third down passing situations. And CPAC's going to get all the fun stuff, and he has been efficient enough in this offense. That is really multiple and a pretty fun offense to watch. And the Chargers could not, you know, stop him. What's new? Yeah, I mean, this Falcons team and a few offenses across the league are able to, let's say, keep games close because I would say like offense in 2022 is different than previous seasons too, where like you can Average 33 carries per game where Philadelphia is at 34. Chicago's at 36. Cleveland's at 33. The Giants are at 33. Tennessee's at 31. Baltimore's at 30. What? That's six teams, seven teams of 30 plus carries in each game when, you know, just two years ago, this was virtually considered a passing league. I'm with you. Like if we, if we look at a split backfield on other franchises, it's not something that we would necessarily want, but for this team, that is running so much top three rate every single week. Cordero Patterson simply brings something to the table that the other ones do not. And if even a, a smaller detail of that is, as we showed you, the first and second snaps went directly to Cordero Patterson. Like I think Arthur Smith understands that he is just much more explosive than any other back that he has in this roster. The other guys can make things happen when things are blocked up and you know create the yards picked up for them. But CPAT has that added ability that no one else in the roster has of creating on his own. And I think that's really valuable moving forward. Uh, 12.6 expected half PPR points for CPAT. Uh, just to go over Kyle Pitts and Drake London, th- these were prayer yards for Kyle Pitts. I want to make that uh, absolutely clear. There was almost a near touchdown in the corner of the end zone. He had um, a drop. He had a couple ones where just Marietta was like scrambling out of the pocket, just hucks them deep. Those are prayer yards. Kyle Pitts is a boom bust tight end one. Uh, it's not pretty Drake London. I thought uh, didn't ha- did not have his best game. There's a couple of plays where he's kind of getting jammed up at the line of scrimmage. I think he needs to play a little more physical for somebody. His size obviously got completely alphaed by Khalil Mack who just stripped the ball from him. That was a pretty insane play. Um, but there was one play where Marcus Mariota on a little bootleg to uh, his left didn't throw the ball to Drake London, who was wide open in the end zone. So it's a mixed bag. Marietta missed that long pass to Kyle Pitts. We know what we're getting. These are going to be two inefficient yep. players. They're not going to be breaking my model. I think that both of these players are good, but it is what it is. It's zero floor. They have a ceiling, but it's going to be very boom bust to get there. Panthers defense up next on Thursday night football, which has had been high and low, depending on which week you look at them. And then right after that, Chicago bears, uh, a defense that traded away their two best players. Yes. I like it. Baltimore Ravens, I guess we should start with the running back. Uh, They're going to their bye week, which is meaningful because just what we saw for Kenyon Drake was 24 carries, 93 yards, two touchdowns, a similar performance that we saw from, I think, two weeks ago, and then Gus Edwards gets tossed in there too. Uh, We might get the exact same thing heading out of the bye week because it sounds like Gus Edwards is on the mend. And 
healthier and it's like a crapshoot as to know exactly how the you know rushing distribution is going to happen on this Ravens team as of right now. Yeah, I'm assuming that J.K. Dobbins is pretty much dusted uh, for this most part. Um, I thought Kenyon Drake looked pretty good. Season high, 20.5 expected half PPR points last week. And I think the difference between this last week's Ravens and the rest of them is the offensive line is really starting to gel. I thought it was one of the most fun tapes to kind of digest. I want you to watch this double team on this next carry right here on the, the, the right guard watch how much power they get through is an easy offense for Kenyon drake to operate in and they're doing a lot of pinning lots of pulling from all of their linemen and Kenyon drake has just enough burst and wiggle to kind of make the best out of it they got him out in the slot on a couple uh for a catch he was out in the flats for a couple catches but really this offensive line is getting really athletic and lamar jackson's at the top of his game so i would not be surprised if the ravens go on a pretty big run here and we'll see what happens with gus uh, the bus when they come back from the bye, but I think Kenyon Drake uh, should be rostered just to see if if Gus Edwards is out uh, coming out of the bye. I think that Kenyon Drake is a pretty rock solid uh, RB two. I think he's looked the part for the most part, and it's really easy to be efficient in this offense. Yeah, I don't want to overlook the detail that the last big Kenyon Drake game that he had, uh, Justice Hill was not active for that game. Justice Hill was for this one, and it feels like Kenyon Drake has created trust on. The, the staff that he should be the trusted running back now of that grouping that yeah. can obviously change if something does happen with JK Dobbins or probably even more likely something happens with, with Gus Edwards. I did also want to bring up though, that near the end of the third quarter, 10 different Ravens had a catch in this game, but no Raven had more than two catches. Yep. Um, that's what happens when Mark Andrews is out. That's what happens when Rashad Bateman is out. Also, what happens when Rashad Bateman is out is Deshaun Jackson immediately plays. Felt like he was featured early on in this game and really speaks to the rest of the wide receiver room. Um, it's weird. The Ravens opened with a really tough schedule. And depending who you look at, if it's Mike Play, Clay or someone else, um, they have the easiest remaining schedule. So let's go. Let's go. I mean, it's, it's you know, Lamar's been, let's say, for the MVP chatter not equaling that from a fancy points per game standpoint, but I could see a real ascension as we hit the playoffs with him too. Yeah. Locked in top five fantasy quarterbacks. Uh, hopefully Mark Andrews gets healthy. They, they really, really need him. Isaiah likely uh very cool play design on his touchdown. It's, we're going to get to it in a second where it looks like Lamar Jackson's going to a little keeper on yep. this play. Look how well Lamar Jackson sells this. And then obviously Isaiah likely wide open, likely does have a drop a couple probably missed passes by Lamar Jackson, including probably a touchdown or two to, to Demarcus Robinson in particular. And then Devin Duvernay, he's always somebody I have a struggle with when it comes to the rankings. And we have to get this sorted out because he will be the number one wide receiver for the rest of the season. He's clearly a role player. So I think I'm not going to be ranking him inside the top 30 anymore. Enough of that. Uh, probably a flex play at best. And, you know, like you said, two targets is is definitely in the range of outcomes, especially if the Ravens uh, roll out with some big wins. And this defense could get better after adding Rokon Smith as well. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Lamar's been bad this year for people out there. I know he started with some awesome weeks, including some 30 and even 40 pointers. That's just gone away. And I think part of that is, you know, lacking a deep option like we saw with Rashad Bateman for these long scores. Um, I just think it can happen towards the end. So let's, you know, create some positivity the rest of the way because this is a slog of a season. Buffalo Bills next. So the spread against the Vikings has gone from seven and a half down to, I think, six or five and a half right now. Um, this UCL thingamabob in Josh Allen's arm 
an elbow. Um, who knows how big of a deal it is. Uh, they're obviously coming off a major loss where Allen had two rushing touchdowns, uh, but also some horrific interceptions. There's a couple things to hit on here, both of the running backs, and maybe we should start there, where you trade for Naeem Hines. Devlin Singletary still owns the backfield at 74%. James Cook at 23%. And then Naeem Hines just 6%, which makes sense when you know he's been on the roster for a week. Yeah, I think that he'll just play where James Cook was playing eventually, um, was returning punts. Uh, I wouldn't read into this. It's like a basically impossible team to kind of break down until we learn what the extent of this Josh Allen injury. I will say I have had some elbow problems playing some baseball. Uh, and what they do some part with your UCL and if he has some nerve damage, which I saw linked up, is what they do is they shock both of your arms and they test how fast your body reacts oh. to it. And that's what happened back uh, in my high school days. And I had a little bit of nerve damage back there. So it's no fun. He has had this injury before. It seems like it could be a couple weeks. It could be no weeks. Uh, he did rifle a ball 75 yards yes. to Gabe Davis's forehead, which he dropped. Um, I, I think that's maybe something to talk about is just Gabe Davis. I think that we were right about kind of everything. Uh, Gabe <laughs> <Yeah>. Davis is <laughs> so both sides were right. <laughs> very, very limited. Good player. Not a great player. Good with Josh Allen. His skill set matches up with Josh Allen, but he is going to struggle at times. And we have seen that pop up. But at the same exact time, we're, we're trying to score fantasy points, not right. uh, be, become scouts in the NFL. Um Gabe Davis is what he is. If, if Josh Allen's not in there, I do not think I would be playing for Case Keenum. Like Case Keenum is not looking for the Gabe Davis type. Gabe Davis broken plays, downfield and stuff. Josh Allen's the best at creating those. Almost a better and best ball player, some might say. Like we had a two-week sample of him with 240 yards combined and three touchdowns, followed by a two-game span of just 68 yards combined. And that's what happens, you know, when you catch three or four passes a week. Some go for long touchdowns when you have a crazy cannon of an arm at quarterback who creates plays out of structure. And then, you know, when the big plays don't happen, then you're limited to about 33 yards per game. So I know I'm still playing Gabe Davis each week because exactly what you said. And hopefully I can fill in the quote unquote floor points everywhere else. Yep. Very yep. simple. Uh, let's go to the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers, a team uh, talking about not knowing the ups and the downs that you could get from them on a weekly basis. Uh, since trading away, though, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall's played 86%, 93%, and 92% of the stat snaps. Granted, uh, this past weekend's three catches for 53 yards and a score happened when Baker Mayfield was out there. But in all of us searching in bi-week hell for some players at the end of the bench, you can do worse than maybe a guy who's out there in two wide receiver sets, who's a second-year wide receiver who kind of feels like he's playing his best football in the league right now. My model says he's the... Wide receiver 44 over the last month in usage. He's the wide receiver 53 in actual production. Josh, will you recommend anybody to start Terrace Marshall next week? No, exactly. no, I it's will not. Like, what are we doing like, here? Okay. There's a conversation where people have like a spot for, let's say, Terrace Marshall or Darius Slayton on their roster. Where are you going with that? I got T Marsh. You know, like there's an area where it's Terrace Marshall versus, I don't know. Let me. Like, uh, not Donovan Peoples-Jones, Noah Brown, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, like Zay Jones. Is it that area? I'm just Let's trying to find it. a soft spot. End of, for, end of your bench. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm there okay. with you. He's. It, I'm glad they're giving him run. You got to see if Terrace Marshall is good. Boom, bust prospect. Let's see if he's going to boom or if he's going to bust. Yeah. I'm just glad he's playing. You know, like figure out what you have in a second round pick before you just like potentially replace him this offseason. I've also tuned in, tried to, 
uh, some other fantasy football content out there. They were very terrified of Deontay Foreman's usage this past weekend. Um, I would say that that game script just was impossible. And I, I think that's part of the fear, though. It, we're talking about the Panthers. It is, but what? It was 28 to nothing, 35 to nothing. It was like, extreme. It, I would say that is just about the opposite end of the spectrum of what you yeah. could get. And so to me, that's why some of the Blackshear and whoever else are out there. And maybe Chuba does come back, and we've seen that happen. But I think that's a couple weeks away. I think just Deontay Foreman should have some goodwill left in the bank. And like the Panthers running game has been good because the offensive line is very good and the Deontay creates on his own. So I don't want to give up on him per se, but sure, maybe a top 15 back and back to back weeks like he was that is shooting over the moon because the Panthers just are bad. Yes, it's pretty simple. Over the last month, uh, RB27 in usage. I think there's a, a, C, or a CMC week in there, but more importantly, 7.9 expected happy PR points last week in the blowout loss and the positive game script game, it was 22.7. So he's as game script dependent as they get. And I think Chuba Hubbard was going to be mixing in on passing down specifically. So if he does come back, that would make it slightly worse for him. So no floor with Deontay Foreman, but we, we at least know he does have a ceiling if they can get lucky. Chicago Bears. Oh, by the way, I mean, the Panthers play what? The Falcons on Thursday Night Football? A Falcons team that like cannot play defense right now. It's like Grady Jarrett, and that's it defensively. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Let's go back to it. Chicago Bears, because we have three clips to roll here for you. Um, can we start with Cole Komet? People sure. that we didn't talk about Cole Komet and instant reaction, so I want to give it to the people. I know it was six catches, excuse me, five catches, 41 yards, and two scores. Uh, the two scores really stand out because at the tight end position, if you have a top – three or four fantasy week and you're not in people's lineups, then you're like, holy hell, I missed out on a jackpot. That's how bad it is right now. Um, I will add Cole Komet has no games a season over 50 yards. Yeah. Like this is another one of those that sure these last three weeks or so is when the bears passing game has kind of evolved into something that's somewhat stable, but it's not that like Cole Komet is out there racking them up. If you know what I mean? No, of course not. And there was so much, rushing from Justin Fields that that's where a lot of the explosives are coming in this offense. Uh, Justin Fields, it was pretty up and down as a passer. I think definitely more ups than downs. Cole Komet, there's a, a seam route that he got got overthrown, like a seam stretching, uh, had a couple, like he had a QB sneak as well. They give him this end around. They're trying with the Cole Komet stuff. Yeah. I think he's, he's all right. Uh, I will say that the bears offense improving at the same time where the defense is, they're basically half tanking. Half the roster's tanking. Half of the <laughs> roster is not tanking. And that's, I think, probably the perfect way to kind of dial this thing up if you are the Bears. And that will help all of the, these players in fantasy. Even like Darnell Mooney is kind of creeped up in the fantasy usage model just a tad. Um, Cole Komet, he's a tight end 19 over the last month in usage. He got lucky season high uh, usage last week. Um, I wouldn't be chasing this. I think that he's a tight end two streamer. I'm not going to get carried away. Love that. Okay. Then let's bring up Chase Claypool and what he did in his debut there. Cause I have, we brought up all the tape here. It was somewhat similar to maybe the best cases that we've seen in Pittsburgh too, where you have some manufactured touches, you've got some screens and you've got some one-on releases against single high coverage and hoping for some vertical routes. I thought he got gypped on the uh, non-pass interference at the end of the game too. Um, I'm optimistic about this. I mean, he brings, I would say, a a different frame to the table than obviously Darnell Mooney does. And if we, we'll talk about this on 
you know, Friday with, with McCown. I think there's still a lot that Justin Fields can improve on as purely a passer in terms of accuracy and, and placement, but with him just playing faster and better right now and more decisive, uh, I think that there's, you know, some room for us to expand into maybe some consistency here with multiple of these passing attack weapons and namely Chase Claypool. He's given the Bears everything that you could have ever dreamed of with Velas Jones. Uh, it's going to be screen games. It's going to be end arounds. It's going to be go go balls. He did have uh, that defensive pass interference down the field. Um, I'll take Darnell Mooney over uh, Chase Claypool for the, the rest of the season. There was a lot of reps uh, on this game where the Dolphins are just lined up and playing man coverage, saying, I dare you guys. And the, the fact of the matter is Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney are number twos or number threes in the league. Um, and they're both limited, and the Bears will be drafting uh, the true number one receiver uh, this next off offseason. Um, but Justin Fields was so incredible last week that it's hard not to be optimistic, at least just for his fantasy stock. Yeah, I mean, they certainly will not be drafting a quarterback in the first round. Uh, Justin Fields is sensational, man. He had three of the top 10 fastest ball carrier stats, according to Next Gen Stats, uh, in Week 10. That's a quarterback. Wow. That's a quarterback. Um, look, at the very least, this is the playmaking that we absolutely adore in fantasy football. It's the playmaking that makes it fun to watch on a weekly basis for, you know, the Chicago Bears or for you're just a, a, you know, third party observer here. Uh, as you said, the defense is just trading away pieces in order to hopefully build up a roster. Um, so for a guy who I would say the offense is still figuring out who they are, as we found out in you know the bye week where they go and watch other quarterbacks, um, his ability to make things happen and, again, the decisiveness to do it now once he plants his back foot rather than trying to hold the ball for five or six seconds at times, um, it's really intriguing. And for the rest of the way, Justin Fields could be a staple or could, should he be a staple of fantasy teams out there, Hayden? He's locked in as fancy quarterback one. Like there's there's no questions asked. I'd have to sit there and like actually look at the schedules and all that stuff to figure out just how high up. But there is quarterback one overall in his range of outcomes every week at this point, just because of how much running he did. There was a play early on in the game that was really intriguing for me. Just him kind of like feeling comfortable inside the pocket. Like obviously most of these highlights are him running and rightfully so super rare ability. But there was a couple of passing downs where he was getting through his progressions, not panicking and getting in there. And it's plays like these ones where it's just like he's so freaking fast in all of his movements. And he he's really selling all these these plays in the backfield. They're doing a lot with him, a lot of screens. I think they're he's up at 18 percent screens on the season, which is second most. Uh, only behind Aaron Rodgers. And then he can also throw a good go ball whenever they can get somebody to win a one-on-one matchup like Darnell Mooney did uh, in that. So pretty optimistic. I think the the Bears coaching staff's doing a hell of a job at this point. And I think that we should be coasting this. This seems pretty sticky to me for the most part. Yeah, I mean, over the last, let's say what, since week six, 12 carries, 14 carries, eight carries, 15 carries. I do want to bring up, that the Bears' schedule is pretty nice for the next four weeks. It's the Lions, then the Falcons, then the Jets, tough, and then the Packers. But after that, week 15 and week 16, just as we're arriving into the fantasy playoffs, Hayden, it's the Eagles and the Bills. Damn it. So I would say if you are continuing to start Justin Fields, be sure to scan that waiver wire as the last player in that bench on your bench spot. Um, If someone has to go out there 
to fill in their starting lineup and drop either one of their two quarterbacks or a starter, so on and so forth. Keep that in mind in the back of your head and try to plan ahead for those week 15 or 16 matchups. If there's someone that is better that pops up in your league. Yeah, he's, he's very interesting, though, because like if the Bills jump up to a huge lead and they're just going to be sitting in, in too high, he can scramble around still. So, yep, um, I'm pretty optimistic and I'm very excited for what the Bears are going to do this offseason to try to build around him. He's he's certainly earned it at this point. Cincinnati Bengals are going into their buy. Um, could we get Jamar Chase afterwards is, I guess, my big question, because he's never been put on injured reserve. Hopefully that is the reason why. Um, over the last three games, the Bengals have scored a touchdown on 90% of their red zone drives. That is why regression has hit in a big way, positively, for likes of Joe Mixon. Um, it's that simple. There will be econometrics professors talking about this Joe Mixon season and regression for for decades. Um, yeah, he went. He had the the worst uh, over expectations uh, according to my model before this week, and then obviously went to the moon. I believe he's like the RB two now uh, in running back uh, points this season. Uh, at the same time, it's been like the worst run out ever for like T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You would think that they would be going to the moon and then they have a complete dud uh, in the first week without Jamar Chase. And then Joe Mixon has the game of his life and they've kind of just been sitting there. So I'm with you. I think that Jamar Chase is probably back uh, within these next two weeks. Otherwise they probably would have put him on injured reserve. So um, same as, same as normal for all of them. Cleveland Browns, they are coming out of the bye to face the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the big news, at least I saw in the end of my benches, because I know I drafted him along with you, David Njoku. It sounds like he might be back here. Really? Um, that At least he was listed as questionable. He's not on injured reserve. I don't know. Okay. Maybe Wake my sleeper league or ESPN league or Yahoo or whatever these platforms are lied to me. But I would say... If you're going out there, people haven't had been starting David Njoku. He's a player to trade for, especially with the redacted quarterback potentially coming back. Who knows if that's going to fare? Um, but David Njoku, along with Amari Cooper, are like the two core pieces in this passing game. Yeah, I think whenever he's playing, he's like a top five option. Like, yeah. just start looking at the, the players. Like, Tyler Higby's falling off a cliff. We know what Kyle Pitts is. Like, there's... Yeah, he would be certainly in that mix. Amari Cooper uh, remains... Uh, underrated the wide receiver 12 on wide receiver 22 fantasy usage over the last month of the season. Um, it's pretty straightforward uh, offense. You can only start Amari Cooper, David Njoku when he's healthy, and then Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt has not been as efficient um, and hasn't been getting as much workload either. Yeah, very quietly, David Njoku has been the tight end eight in fantasy points per game this season. Okay, Dallas Cowboys up next. Another team that is coming out of their bye week. Face the Green Bay Packers, uh, a Packers team that is now going to be without Rashawn Gary, just missed Devondra Campbell as well. I think everyone's focus is going to remain on Tony Pollard because of the usage we saw before the bye week. Um, a quote from running backs coach Skip Pete, Tony Pollard played a total of 30 plays, and I think that's his max as far as total play count because then the juice doesn't become the same, and he's not as quick, he's not as fast. I know people are going to laugh and snicker at that, but I think there's some truth there where they believe if Tony Pollard might not have the ability, if he plays 40 snaps to take one to the house, like he does when he's on his 22nd snap or his 17th snap, um, because creating the explosive plays and the big plays has been the core element, as we just saw of Tony Pollard's game for a very long time, taking short runs to 20, 30, 40 yard gains as well. 
It's hard to stay on the field for back-to-back plays when you're winded from running 40 oh. yards downfield. Uh, I, I hear you though, and it, it's the Cowboys believe it. They last even the, the with Tony Pollard that huge game, he played like half the snap. So I, I believe what they're saying. They've told us this with their actions for a long time. So we'll see if Zeke's healthy coming out of the bye. We we'll, oh, do want to note maybe Dalton Schultz is somebody that probably is going to have a better, mm. better second half of the year. Dak Prescott's healthy, looks fine back there. Uh, his knees have been put on backwards, both of them, for the last month. But coming out of the bye, I wonder if there is some room. And I do want to throw out and redo the prediction. I do think that Odell Beckham ends up here in a couple weeks. Jerry cannot stop talking about Odell. I know. Right. He's now. like, he looks good in the uniform. I, I love that. It's <laughs> like not about the play. He's like, I can, I'm going to sell some damn jerseys. Now, like down the stretch, if we get Dak with a little bit of the quick game that we've seen recently and not having to go to second and third options here, plus Zeke and Tony, plus Gallup and CD, let's roll. Especially that defense. Wow. Should be really exciting. Okay. Denver Broncos next. So they're coming out of their bye as well. Let me throw some numbers at you. Last four games with Russell Wilson, Jerry Judy, 27 targets, 16 catches, 223 yards, two scores. On the opposite end, Cortland Sutton. Last four games with Russell Wilson, 25 targets, 13 catches, 153 yards, and a score. It's kind of neck and neck in terms of opportunities and things, but it's also to a point that like, I have no confidence playing either of them, but at this point in the calendar, we basically have to play one of them question to you rest of season. I'm not holding to this listeners, viewers do not hold to this either rest of season. Who would you want Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton? I'll go Cortland Sutton. He has better usage over the entire season. And I, I, I mean, do you, I, I, Sutton's been struggling, but I haven't yeah. like seen like there's not like some schematic change of why Judy's getting more targets right now. Variant. So I'll just go over the big, bigger sample. And I just I think Cortland Sutton's just better. He hasn't been very good the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I think both of them are like wide receiver three flex plays, kind of depending on the match. I, I wouldn't be ranking them far apart, um, even though like the fantasy usage model over like the last month has had Jerry Judy far ahead of Cortland Sutton. Um, I think it's just kind of noise. It's just wide receiver position. I, I agree with that. I think it's just a bunch of variants. It's uh, it's an inefficient offense that hasn't been able to build consistency. And when that happens, then how are you supposed to rely on, hey, this guy's playing in this role, so that means he's going to get the production versus the other one. Um, they have improved in the red zone um, in terms of scoring touchdowns at a ludicru- ludicrously historically bad rate to open the season. I guess the other question at the end of this is we haven't seen Chase Edmonds in this running back trio along with Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray. Um, just your expectations real quick of what Chase Edmonds brings to this team. If anything, I refuse to talk about these running backs. It's, <laughs> it's not good. He, they called Melvin Gordon the starter and they traded for Chase Edmonds. It's, it's a total mess. You, your team's after if you're starting any of them, Greg Dolchich. Now, now we can have yep. a little conversation here. Greg Dolchich, uh, over the last month, the tight end five per game on tight end 16, usage he's a near every down player and he's got some juice kind of down the field um i think that he's on the tight end one two borderline i wouldn't get too carried away here just because the broncos offense has not been very good but to me and this comes from a trojan he has passed the eye test i think the dude is a legit baller totally agree with that detroit lions as expected and as we talked about in our sunday morning start sit show deandre swift barely played i actually I test here thought he looked so much better this week than last week. And that's extremely important 
because where the Lions are win-loss record-wise right now, and especially when Dan Campbell comes out earlier this week and says, quote, we'll see what he looks like Wednesday and Thursday, and if he feels a little bit better than he did last week, then yeah, he's going to get more of a load. I think it's looking pretty encouraging. That's about as positive of a note that we've seen DeAndre Swift for in a while. I thought he was extremely hobbled coming back from that buy and coming off that injury. And again, I know it was what, like 10 snaps last week, but he did seem to have some ability to stride out and create separation from the other linebackers and cornerbacks versus what we didn't see the week before. Yeah, I'll be waiting for injury reports to kind of figure out where I'm going to be ranking DeAndre Swift. This is like a very hard situation to kind of figure out. Um, the, the the backup tight ends came in there, did some damage, but I'm still waiting for Amon Ross St. Brown to really kind of get back here. I think that's kind of like the most intriguing name for fantasy uh, with the Lions, in my opinion. He just didn't have like the greatest game. The offense was kind of whatever, and they really ran the ball with Jamal Williams. Yeah, I mean, again, over the last four weeks, the Lions have put up zero points, six points, 27 points, and then 15 points this past weekend. It's a far departure versus what we saw earlier this season, as we keep talking about, where Jamal Williams was a top 10 running back. DeAndre Swift was a top 10 running back. Amon Ross St. Brown was a top 10 wide receiver. I don't know if we're ever going to get back to those heights. I think Amon Ross still looking good. I think it's more of Jared Goff has, I'm not even going to say come back to earth because I think he's kind of been this player all season long. Yeah. Um, it's just not the ceiling of the team. The ceiling of the offense isn't as there as it was earlier this year. Yeah, their defense is still so bad that I I still right. can't see them get into a couple weird shootouts down the stretch. Um, Jamal Williams, and we're going to be talking about top 10 in advance rates in Best Ball Mania 3. Jamal Williams is a lock to be in that. There's nobody being drafted as late as where he was scoring as many points as that man. And we should give him, I, I think we should get every team about 10 more points just for his dance moves. High value touches, the name of the game. Like when you know the guy is going to get red zone and end zone, Inside the five-yard line opportunities, it's a huge win. The Lions do have, like, the Bears coming up, the Giants right after that. So we'll see. Maybe the Lions can be spicy once again this season. All right. Next up, Green Bay Packers. So there's a lot of concern on Sunday that Aaron Jones was not well. It does seem like he is fine. Now, x-rays came back negative, and in fact, immediately after the game, Aaron Jones said, quote, it was frustrating because I felt like I could have went back in, but they were being smart. I definitely respect them because after I stopped moving around and I sat still for a while, it kind of got sore. I respect them. <laughs> I've uh, Have you ever had a high angle spray or anything like that? Played a little basketball? They are terrible injuries, man. But uh, Are you just like revealing your entire injury history here with us today? Is this what yeah, it is? is? I have a, a long one. I, I, I got nicked up all the time. Uh, I will say the injury that sounds like a joke, but is actually super serious is turf toe. Turf toe sucks. It? Yeah. What were was... you playing to get turf toe? Like lax? Intramural flag football in college. There we go. There it is. There it is. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see what happens with, with AJ Dillon. He did have um, 13.0 expected half PPR points with Aaron Jones leaving. So it's just too early in the week to kind of figure out that. Um, Christian Watson, same thing. He didn't have a concussion, but they kept him out because of his concussion history. He should be back this week. Um, Al Mazar is just the guy. Like, yep. He, and he's look, underrated, I, too. I, I think it highlights who the Packers are in 2022, that Al Mazar is the guy. But rather than make that a joke and laugh at it, we should respect it and move forward with Al Mazar 
in your flex or wide receiver three spots oh, for the rest of the season. Higher for me right yeah. now over the last month, he's the wide receiver 13 on wide receiver 12 usage over the course of the season in his healthy games. He's averaged 12.5 uh, half PPR points. That's, that's pretty good. And I think I can see this getting just better. So like if Aaron Jones misses some time here, like this is going to be the Alman Zarcho put a little respect on him. They're getting him in the screen game and some downfield shots. He's not a perfect player. No one's selling that. But the fact that he's like not a starter player, like all the narratives that we had before the season, he's eclipsed. That's silly stuff. Jeff Okuda on like a third and 10 did his two hand punch for Christian Watson. The rest of the wide receivers are about five to eight yards down the field. And Christian Watson was still stuck at the line of scrimmage. Uh, downside to all this next up for the Packers is the uh, Dallas Cowboys coming out of their bye with that loaded defensive front. Uh, so that could be danger territory here. Yeah. Sammy Watkins is so toast. Dude. So toast. He was last year. Houston Texans. Damian Pierce is electric. Um, my only real point here about the Texans, since they played, it feels like forever ago, I'm really curious how the Brandon Cooks dynamic plays out for the rest of the season, where he set out for quote-unquote personal reasons on Thursday against the Eagles, but it was because he wanted to get traded, maybe even let go, and they're like, you're our only guy who can catch balls. Um, when he's been out there, there has been moments where we've seen wide receiver three, wide receiver two possibilities from him. But like it's again, to use this word, a dynamic where we might not know how much he is going to be utilized, if at all active moving forward either. I have no idea to do with if Cooks is going to come to the building. I don't, I, I'm guessing he is. Nico Collins has been banged up. Uh, he has not been very good this year and probably a little bit on his own right. But a lot of this is on Davis Mills. It's it's basically Damien Pierce or Buss in his six games as a near every down player. He's averaged 16.4 expected half PPR points, and he's good at the game. Another uh, win for watch the tape in college. True. Um, a lot of teams are trying to be as bad as Houston Texans this season. I don't know if anyone is going to be as bad as the Houston Texans this season. They need Jack East to be back. <laughs> they don't. Uh, okay. Let's now go to the Indianapolis Colts. Let me find there. Oh, boy. Let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts here, okay? ESPN analyst Jeff Saturday, named interim head coach, uh, former longtime center for Peyton Manning, former center for Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers. Your thoughts? This isn't bullshit. Like, imagine being a coach on, on that staff, and then this happens, you know? And, like... It's it, this this could be a stone cold disaster. They are clearly tanking. Sam Ellinger was a total mess uh, immediately. I'm not even sure how much tape uh, Jeff Saturday has been grinding. One of those first decisions that Sam Ellinger is going to be the starting quarterback They're uh, They don't have a single pl person on their staff right now. That's called NFL play. So they're bringing up uh, this 30 year old to, to do that. Um, Zach Kiefer, everyone like Albert Breer, they keep mentioning that everyone inside the building is super tilted about this they want matt ryan back in there i think you make an argument that uh uh nick Foles should get back in there it's a total mess this is pretty disappointing uh ursa is just he's just tilting and making every decision um and i i, I don't think i could remember a team maybe outside the browns this offseason from just like losing respect from yeah. every media member uh, and fan, like as quickly and as abruptly as this, like we were going into this kind of like respecting, like oh, the Colts kind of hung in there. They've uh, since the Andrew Luck retirement, they've they've held their own, and now everyone's just like laughing stock. This is terrible. 
I'm not saying Chris Ballard's good at his job, but Chris Ballard speaks very well. Just watching his press conferences, he at least knows how to, you know, try to explain football and roster building to a certain degree. Jim Irsay is just in the clouds constantly. And everything that he is saying then is, you know, imitated with his moves. Um, there's a lot to hit on here. One, it's not like former players shouldn't be coaches, right? Like we've seen it with the Detroit Lions. Their whole staff is a bunch of former players. In this case, it's very clear that Jim Irsay is acting on his own and just in the back of his head has always wanted Jeff Saturday as an integral part of this organization where it's also weird. He's in the ring of honor, yet a same guy in the same era in Reggie Wayne is also in the ring of honor, a second year coach on the staff and is not being mentioned at all for these types of opportunities. Uh, our buddy friend of the show, Charles Robinson, I always has his ear to the ground with a lot of these situations. Sure. No one really wants to have an interim head coaching opportunity because those people rarely get real opportunities, but this is not out of the realm of possibility where it's an audition for Jeff Saturday to then be named by Jim Irsay as the future head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So this is the experience now that then he can parlay into a full-time head coaching job when the 2022 season is over. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I'm like questioning if like Ursa like is woke up hungover. Like, I don't know what happened at this damn press conference. He was, he lost his mind. There was a couple of quotes from Jeff Saturday. He said that he would, he was shocked would be an understatement when he was saying how he got this job. And then he also asked Ursa, why am I a candidate for this? I thought this was like a Mad Libs SNL skit on some of these quotes they had. I mean, even Chris Ballard, who like for the most part, I think it's a, a decent GM, uh, he was talking about like, oh, you guys were blaming me for not getting enough wideouts, and now our offensive line is a disaster, even though that they're fourth in spending with us offensive line. And he's been around this organization where he's made all the moves. And by the way, you spent second-round picks on your wide receivers, not first-round picks. It's been your quarterback decision-making uh, right now. And there's like – Ursay was saying that this is like the Bruce Arians uh, when they made him uh, the interim coach. But Bruce Arians was coaching for like two decades uh, – Jeff Saturday, this is completely different. This is like really unfair. Like they have Gus, Gus Bradley, uh, John Fox, John Fox. Like you said, Reggie Wayne's the same type of uh, narrative. If you want to go down this play, this is just, this is just a owner losing his mind. Yeah. Uh, the new play caller parks, Frazier, 30 years old was hired in 2018 by Frank Reich to be his personal assistant. So this is quite a leap moving. Also, forward. His officiant, correct. See that, yeah, direct to actually the former Panthers media personality in Caroline Can, I believe her name was, um, who used to work for the Colts as well. Um, okay, let's try to compartmentalize this madness and chaos. I like NFL chaos, this just seems unfair to be honest to not only minority coaches, but yes. also just the rest of the coaching, if I can use this word, fraternity across the league that have put in hard work and everything for something like this to happen. Um, yeah. I do want to bring up, since we are getting a play caller that we have no idea how it is, it's going to happen. What do we think this means? Obviously, Sam Ellinger freaking sucks. He should not start another game after last week. But like for Jonathan Taylor, I could see it going two ways here with Jonathan Taylor. Either they run him into the ground this season coming off injury or 
they barely utilize him and really save him for 2023. I think they, they're going to save him. Why would you play Jonathan Taylor on an ankle sprain? What if Ursay's like, clear? hey, we need to be competitive as much as possible. You have to run Jonathan Taylor. He is the face of this team. They they saw what tanking can do when they got Andrew Luck and like that went well um, until he retired. Like I think that they're trying to tank and that's exactly what they're doing here. And they are going to stick with Jeff Saturday after this this season. Um, there's there's no there's no calling place for Sam Ellinger. He's just he's bad. He's not, it's bad. Uh, Michael Pittman. It's it's as bad as you could possibly imagine. The the splits are already getting huge. Um, yeah, he's I, I might, London. Yeah, he's like a he's like a flex play at this point. Uh, yeah. Super sad. Um, any, I do want to make like a little bit of difference here doing this type of hire in the off season. At least I can understand it. You have the entire off season to get your coaching staff in together, right? Buying with the team. How do you go in there without knowing anybody in this building and start bossing them around halfway through the season? I think it's a totally different uh, thing going from the off season versus it's week 10. Yeah. To that point, you have time to prepare. Jim Irsay going from, hey, we need to bench Matt Ryan, which, by the way, Zach Kiefer mentioned that they were plenty of roster mates who didn't agree with that decision. You could probably point to, let's say, Stephon Gilmore, who won last run trying to sign there. Maybe DeForest Buckner, who's one of the best defensive players in the league, so on and so forth. Didn't agree with that. So that's already upsetting. Then you go out and fire Marcus Brady, who, if was not fired, probably would be the opportunity or get the opportunity here to be at least the play caller. And now getting rid of Frank Reich. This is that is it. It's a disaster. It's, it's one of the weirdest storylines. Let's say the last two decades from at least what I can remember since I've been yeah. conscious of football. Um, and again, don't want to overlook the fact that Charles Robinson very much has his ears to the ground is mentioning that this might be a play for 2023. The, and if that's said, the case, then getting around the Rooney rule in this dynamic, yeah, pathetic. It's not, yeah, it's not. It's not cool. Real pathetic. Um, okay, let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Look, Travis Etienne, hands up. One of my biggest misses of this fantasy preseason. Not that I didn't think he was explosive or was going to have a role here in this offense. Definitely thought so. Didn't love that third round draft capital that he was costing people, but how they are utilizing him now, it has equaled the most carries of 25 plus yards in the league this season at six. And he immediately graduated from only maxing out at 16 touches per game to up to like 23, 25 per game. I wouldn't be shocked if they sprinkle in J. Michael hasty a little bit more, but again, I think that they are relying on his, speed and the dynamic that he brings to the table because they have no one else on offense that is able to create that on their own. Yeah, season high, 22.7 expected half PPR points last week. He's been at least at 16.8 in all the games with James Robinson not in there. So yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. And um it's I'm hoping like once Ridley gets back, this is gonna be one of the fastest offenses in the league. You're hoping that they can kind of turn into like a, a version of uh the Miami Dolphins in general. Christian Kirk was the other one I wanted to Yep. Yep, throughout here um over the last month the wide receiver 19 on wide receiver 25 fantasy usage that's basically in on par with kind of his season long expectations it's been up and down for him um he, i think he's just one of his players to he's not good enough to be consistent every single week but i think at the end of the season he'll be the wide receiver 21 on the season and that's probably what, where i should be ranking him 
I'm also sick of the Trevor Lawrence discourse. Um, if you do not appreciate Trevor Lawrence on a weekly basis, then I, I don't know if you're actually watching the games, to be honest with you. Like, sure, we can point to, they're almost like drops per se, the red zone interceptions and the turnovers. Like that has happened with him and I'm not, you know, overlooking those. But from all the difficult things that he is asked to do on a weekly basis, those are now being funneled into the mistakes in the red zone. He's doing everything else, you know? Mm -hmm. That play that he we just showed out of his own end zone with a free rusher bearing down on him, that can be a sack. It now turned into a 13-yard gain that he created on that positive play. This is a whole shot. That is an incredible throw here from Trevor Lawrence. He's eighth in EPA this season. It's not just watching the tape. It's aesthetically pleasing. He's legitimately good. Sure, we can take back two to three throws, and he's not Andrew Luck, and maybe that's the you know, unrealistic expectation that's being held above him. But I am still so in and have always been in on, on Trevor Lawrence that now, to me, both the metrics – and the visuals match up and align next to each other. And I think we could really see some incredible trajectories for his career, hopefully in 2023, when some more juice is added to this wide receiver grouping where everything isn't condensed within 20 yards of the offense. Yeah. I think, I think he's gonna be great for fantasy next year. Um, yeah, he's making he's making some improvements. I think like the narrative thing is just like what was your expectation of him? If he was the best quarterback prospect of all time, then you're like, what the hell? Why are these analysts talking him up? And then there's some people that call him a bust because of the numbers. I'm somewhere in the middle. I think he's going to have some MVP type of seasons. I don't think that he's like Aaron Rodgers or something like that. So I, I think we're we're on most on the same same page with him. One, one of my favorite things about him is he doesn't allow pressures to turn into sacks. Like there was a third and eight, a blitz from the cornerback in a bunch set, and he runs it easily for a first down. Um, again, that second 11 in his own end zone, he avoids it. He dishes it to his left. And then the Christian Kirk stuff, like it disappeared, but it seemed like there were, there were some manufactured routes for him to be like the target man, the primary in the red zone. Again, like that touchdown from the slot, he just puts like a move and off coverage against them and gets the pylon for the score. So the more of that, like another consistent element other than Travis Etienne should be the outcome of this offense. Um, and it's interesting. They're getting Evan Ingram a little bit more involved too. They're trying, they're trying, they're Ooh, I think you're muted, Hayden. Yep. Coming back. Oh, God. Go ahead. Uh, do you think like he, a fair like um, comparison would be like Justin Herbert without like the arm talent, like the special arm talent? Like he kind of plays, think he plays kind of similarly. It's like I've heard Matt Ryan. I think that's a, a pretty good one. I, Matthew Stafford. I think um, Stafford like from a up and down standpoint makes sense. Um, I think he is much more mobile than Matthew Stafford in terms of like quarterback powers and the running game yeah, inside sure. the red zone as well. And that's a possibility, but let's not like, I'm not grouping him in with like Mahomes and Josh Allen per se. Like, Hey, let's okay. put him in the top of the B tier and let's roll moving forward. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Let's go to the Kansas city chiefs up next, a team that we just saw on primetime. So the Titans are the best team at stopping the run, their previous opponent. But Kansas City running backs totaled 14 yards on 12 carries on Sunday night, while the quarterback was forced to attempt 46 passes from 10 yards and shorter. That's sick, sick stuff. When you think about how offenses are trying to generate yards this season, that's putting so much pressure on the quarterback. However, I will also add that that comment 
is very much a Juju Smith-Schuster statement because 68% of Juju's targets are 10 yards or less this season, and that equaled 12 targets, 10 receptions, and 88 yards on Sunday night. Fantasy usage model loves Juju Smith-Schuster. Over the last month, the wide receiver four and wide receiver 24 fantasy uh, expected half PPR points. Um, he's been great. The offense is kind of going right through him. They could not run on the Titans. I do want to bring this up real quick. Teams playing the Titans defense aren't even trying to run the ball. Pretty pretty the close to kind of how like, the Buccaneers were last last year, if you guys were uh, with us last, last season. Um, you can't run the Titans, and you can't really just uh, – the, the Chiefs can't run the ball either. No, and to that point, Isaiah Pacheco uh, had 22% of the snaps. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 17%. And we're getting deep down into bad CEH territory because we were getting some really great touchdown luck to start the season. And if now he's even, let's say, in a positive or neutral game script, maybe 40% of the snaps, it's like no good things can come from that, really. Uh, CH, the RB54 in usage. Pacheco, RB70. McKinnon, yeah. RB45 yeah. over last month. It's not good. Uh, now, to that point, it's not like it's any better for one of the wide receivers in Marquez Vada-Scantling, who literally has eight targets in the last three games. Eight. It's Running all bad. the routes, doing a bunch of wind sprints, and not getting the targets. It's weird, man. Like, it's Travis Kelsey, who, by the way, is scoring, on average, seven more points than the tight end three in points per game so far this season. Like that gap between one and three, there's nothing larger in fantasy football so far this season. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. Last point I've seen, and I know he's been on a lot of your benches, maybe Mikkel Hardman. I mean, he had, what, three touchdowns against the 49ers. Uh, as we pointed out on this very show, I think last week or two weeks ago, um, a lot of that was because of, the 49ers tendency to really fly up the field and those jet sweeps or again, push passes that he was scoring off of were a mainstay for that. However, they got one of those on a swing pass against the Tennessee Titans who again are flying forward to stop the run or try to rush the pass and really condense the edges. And so we have seen, you know, manufactured touches for Nicole being such a prominent piece of this chiefs inside the 10 inside the five yard package. And once they get to the red zone in the last three games, they've scored a touchdown 74% of the occasion. Yeah, McCall Hardman, the wide receiver seven on wide receiver 31 fantasy usage over the last month of the season. That's all that red zone work. So, um, Kadarius Tony only played a couple snaps. It started with CEH for touchdowns. Now it's gone to Mecole. And then maybe hopefully we get to like Juju and Travis Kelsey and maybe Kadarius Tony as we go along. Yeah. Um, I don't think Kadarius is going to do all that much. McCall Hardman's been too good. You know, it's all the manufacturer stuff. He's been. Maybe we just were imagining this incorrectly. Like maybe Tony can get in there for MVS and be the man beating wide receiver instead of the manufactured touch player. I don't know how they would get downfield unless they start sending McCole Hardman on those type of routes. So yeah, I think it's just be a little bit of a rotation. Okay. Let's go now to the Las Vegas Raiders. It was a dominant first half for Devontae Adams, and I felt like the Jaguars caught on in the second half. They made everything a bit more difficult. That was easy in the first half. Um, the ISO routes were not open, and then when he was creating separation, it was bad throws from Derek Carr. Maybe the bigger conversation to have here is Josh Jacobs. Uh, he's had 87 and 54 yards over the last two weeks on 20 and 12 touches. Uh, a little come-back-to-earth moment for, for J.J., who was 
early candidate for fantasy MVP this season or best value. I can see him rebounding back to the early season stuff, though, because he's still like playing most of the snaps. Um, the Raiders are moving the ball for for the most part. Um, very streaky. I think Jacobs is going to be fine. The only like negative that you could possibly have is that they're two and six, and Josh Jacobs is on uh, is in a contract year. Maybe they want to see some some more Zemir White. I think that'd be like a conversation for like weeks fifteen through eighteen. Not not quite yet. Um, I think the other big discussion we have to have is just the Raiders. How how did we get here? It's this. This is how we got here. They just ha- had to wave Jonathan Abram. Uh, look at all of their first round picks since 2019. We have Jacobs is good. Abram waved. Cleland Farrell has 0.5 sacks this year. Uh, Damon Arnett waved arrested. Henry Ruggs waved arrested. Alex Leatherwood waved. Uh, and then they traded for Devontae Adams and have a, a massive contract to Devontae Adams. This team is, was incomplete coming into the year. And they're trying to bandied this together with good offense. And, and they're, they're trying to band this together with great offense. They're getting good offense and the defense is a stone cold disaster. And that's how we end up here. Yeah. I mean, the wisdom of the crowds, if you took, let's say Arif Hassan's uh, composite draft rankings, that would have drafted better than John Gruden slash Mike. Oh, Mayock. It's not close. And I, I don't want to put it on Mike Mayock, to be honest, because I think everyone knows that John Gruden was the one calling the shots in, in the back half, but uh, that's awful. Like I love the draft. It's a lot of dart throwing to the point where you want to acquire as many first round picks and second round picks and just total, you know, shots at the board as possible. Uh, They did that in many of those drafts, three first round picks in one of those years, and they failed miserably. Like just the critical factors that they look for and their process of not taking athletes like Claire and Farrell in the top, you know, five or 10 as an edge pass rusher when you need to focus on athleticism in that territory just shows you that, look, the people running all 32 of these teams, it's doesn't mean anything at times i don't like taking shots for the draft because like you said it's such a crapshoot in general but go pull up the draft grades yeah. every single one of these grades, it was all f's all d's and stuff because there was there was completely wild card selections and they were wrong and i think that's where the criticisms are and you kind of played like what everybody was saying and you drafted a bust that happens it's very hard to get these things right but when you're going out of your way and you're wrong that deserves some criticism los angeles chargers Joshua Palmer arrived 10 targets, eight receptions, 106 yards. There was a sick third down conversion. Justin Herbert climbing up and hitting Palmer over the middle of the field. Great job by him sitting in the middle of the field. Awful third and eight drop. Also that was intercepted when up 14 to 10. Anything you want to say about JP? Well, he had that yeah interception off the forehead. Wasn't a good look for him. Um, a lot of these were against zone coverage, but with the game on the line after that Austin Eckler fumble, uh, man coverage, he was in the slot, runs this really long crossing route, gets some separation, and makes the basically the game-winning catch. Um, really, the bar isn't very high. To be Justin Herbert's number one wide receiver, you have to be very bad to not be fantasy relevant. And right now, Josh Palmer, I'm expecting him to be quite fantasy relevant. 11.9 expected half PPR points. And I think that he has uh, better odds of getting uh, into the end zone uh, more often. We'll see if Keenan Allen's going to be rushed back here. Um, but Mike Williams still a couple weeks away. So I think Josh Palmer's legit. Gerald Everett, I, I would say he's he's got more explosiveness. And I actually think he can beat man coverage even better. But, but like kind of Josh Palmer, he's a complete wild card too. He's going to have a couple boneheaded plays. But he's been... Clearly in the mix, he's underperformed my model in the season, but has remained a tight end one basically this entire year. 
let's spend 30 seconds on Isaiah Spiller because he received seven carries in the game that was very close, only took it for 29 yards. To me, created nothing, ran into the offensive line and defensive line over and over and over again. I didn't love him as a prospect. I was in a little bit because it was very clear that this team wanted a second running back to try to take something off the plate of Austin Eckler, which they, again, for the second straight season, have been unable to do. And then there's a lingering Joshua Kelly return who had earned that second yeah. running back spot for the team prior to his injury. I think my stance is I have no Isaiah Spiller's takes. I think okay. if Austin Eckler got hurt this week or something like that, I think that he would be in the mix. But I think that they want they want Josh Kelly to be in there. And I didn't notice anything from Isaiah Spiller. I I did notice Sonny Michelle dropping a pass, though. So, Los Angeles Rams. The Tyler Higby decline stinks. I mean, 0, 15, and 7 yards over the last three weeks. Last three games, nine targets combined. Again, I think it perfectly speaks to who the Rams are right now, where against the Bucks defense, Cooper Cup went for 127 yards, and the next closest wide receiver was at 24, and that was Allen Robinson, who, by the way, Still oh top boy. three and team target percentage inside the 10-yard line this season. Tyler Higby, uh, Sean McVay <laughs> dialed up this, I think it was a fourth down, uh, this kind of like pick route, and he was wide open and dropped a pass. And you can see on the All-22 broadcast, Sean McVay like, take off his headset and absolutely mm. scream. This was, a, this was a couple weeks ago, and since then, we're getting zero production from him. He's a tight end 40 over the last month wow. after being top three, top four, top five. Um, just has never been a good player outside for that really like that five week stretch where he was amazing. Volume so. King. Yep. I mean, it, it, that's what he is. He, he, it's just a close to the line of scrimmage volume type player. And then I think he has the third most targets this season across the league without scoring a touchdown, which is just true yeah. Tyler Higby stuff where touchdowns normal. never happen for him. Very yeah. normal. And he he needs the design stuff. They like throw like little uh, tight end screens or let him like kind of leak out. If McVeigh doesn't trust him there, it, what's the point? And he he didn't run as many routes this last week. So officially, it goes Cooper Cup, and then maybe Allen Robinson if you're desperate, and then nobody else, not a running back, nobody else for the Rams. Yeah, I'm. Don't hold me to this, YouTube. A little bit in on Allen Robinson the rest of the way as like a. As in, he will be better than what he showed in the first three or four games of the season. Big That's praise. It. Big praise. Miami Dolphins. So big Jeff Wilson news on some regards. Like we kind of predicted this heading into this game because one, he knew the playbook. And two, it's very clear that Mike McDaniel didn't want to lean on just one running back. That's why, you know, they signed Chase Edmonds and they signed Raheem Mostert. But Jeff Wilson, nine carries, 51 yards. Three receptions, 21 yards, and a score, uh, at least for my eyes. First touch, not until the second quarter. Uh, and then he finished it out in the fourth quarter as well. Um, yeah, there was that little span after, you know, Raheem Mostert kind of owned the first half in some ways. Yeah, Raheem Mostert had a, a, a drop pass. Jeff Wilson had a good cutback. Um Raheem Mostert scored a touchdown early on in the game. This is going to be a 50-50 split. I think that Raheem Mostert will remain the starter. I think that he'll be the passing down back, but Jeff Wilson will certainly get more involved, and it has to be a win if he splits the snaps in his debut. Um, I, didn't, I think that both backs are fine. I don't, I don't think like Raheem or Jeff Wilson are like really going to separate from, from each other. I'm, I said I think I'm keeping my stance. They'll be around RB25-ish for every week uh, until we get some more data on it. I guess my comment is a comment on the comments saying that Jeff Wilson is now the guy in Miami. It's a split backfield. 
like probably 50 50 is the way to look at it. There's no one, there's no one, two, there's no clear top guy. Um, this is a hot hand. Yes. I think that's the easiest way to put it, but this team's got to score a boatload of points and they're going to keep doing it no matter what. Like they are not running pure right now. As weird as that sounds. This is some players are left on the field. It's crazy what they dude, do. They are open always, <laughs> always, always. And it's not, it's oh. not just what it's not just Waddle and it's not just Tyreek. These other guys, when they're getting the ball, they are open. I want to see like next gen stats, pull some stuff out about like, what's, what's going on here because it's a lot of play action and these like deep posts. I haven't, I haven't seen people get, it's like skinny post, deep post crossing route. Everything's over the middle of the field. Yep. We have not seen an offense built like this ever. And it's the most efficient offense you can possibly dial up. Well, and it's because we've never seen a team have two burners yeah. like the Dolphins do with Tyree Kill and with Jalen Waddle. And I forever want to push back on the notion that Tyree Kill is just speed because oh. you also see him dominate contested catches too. And the reason is you're saying with these skinny posts and you know these routes that break back, it's because... None of these safeties want to be worried about getting burned deep. So they're running back immediately while the linebackers get sucked up. And so there's literally, if you pause it, if you ever get a a wide angle view, there can be 20 yard separation between the linebackers and the safeties of space for just Tyree kill and Jalen wall to operate into. And then once again, you get the quarterback who is playing incredibly decisive right now. And I understand RPO is a, is a stigma to a lot of people and people hate offenses that are based on those. It's not, you know, the, the, the cornerstone of this offense either. It can be, but I would also add that Tua just runs it differently than everyone else. Like no it's one is more efficient or precise or anticipates off RPOs like Tua does right now too. Yeah. To me, it's the play action. not even like the RPO stuff as much. It's just, he gets his head around boom on it and just rips it in there and they're wide open. So um, it is like one of those things where like, Tua, whether he's good or not individually, it doesn't really matter because the offense is producing. And like, if, if if you're getting production, just let it ride. I even wonder what the full NFL perception would be from them as contenders if we didn't have that three-game span of him getting a head injury, then Teddy getting a head injury, then Skylar Thompson getting hurt as well. Because that masks like just the win loss record and like the total belief in this team. I will say the, the, the team's defense probably needs yes. to step on a, up in a big way for them to be contenders. Like some of the other teams, like the Eagles and the bills and the chiefs and so on and so forth. And O-line I still think is below average, but it, it hasn't really stopped them right now. No, no one's running it like them. It's so much fun. Just the process. Minnesota Vikings. TJ Hawkinson's debut was huge, huge, uh, Tons of production and what I think it unlocked a little bit. Maybe it's just a one game sample. I don't read it, want to read into it maybe too much, but his five yards average depth of target allowed Justin Jefferson, I believe to have an average depth of target of 16.8 yards as well. And we haven't seen Justin Jefferson be a downfield vertical route player as much this season as we have in the past. And in fact, I think Kirk Cousins percentage of downfield throws is the lowest or among yes. the lowest in the league this season. Yeah, Justin Jefferson, we were complaining about it with that last chart uh, last week, and he, he did get more stuff. One of them was like a slot fade, um, was a couple of his, touch, or his touchdown in the corner, was kind of mossing people down the field. Uh, maybe that's a product of TJ Hawkinson, but I will just say TJ Hawkinson in general, like very seamless fit. I got that one wrong in my rankings last week. Super impressive debut, and they clearly have or have been envisioning 
a more traditional tight end compared to Irv Smith. And that's exactly what uh, TJ Hawkinson is going to get. Um, so yeah, I'm expecting Kirk Cousins to do shirtless chain dancing on the planes for a couple more weeks here. This, this offense man's got a lot of good players and their offensive lines holding up for the most part. Yeah. And we see a little bit of everything here. You know, you saw some screens manufactured for TJ Hawkinson. You saw some blocks and releases as an outlet player. And then you see either with him and Adam Thielen or him and Justin Jefferson with TJ Hawkinson as the more downfield route with the other wide receiver as the level belief beneath him. Like, it's very clear that they wanted a tight end who's able to do everything. Doesn't have to be at a perfect level or an elite level, just as a really good level. And Hawkinson's bringing that, that to the table. He was already productive with the Lions. This is going to be the best TJ Hawkinson we've seen. You think so? For like fantasy purposes? Yes, for the rest of the way, 100%. Yeah, I think the tight end won either way. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious. Okay. New England Patriots up next. So they are heading into their bye, Hayden, and I'm terrified. I'm terrified of what the Patriots are right now. Matt Judon, their defense playing at a very high level, but Mac Jones is awful at the moment. And it's him as an individual and it's the offense that's built around him because I can't take anything from watching them and saying, Hey, lean into this more, you know, like you can do that with a bunch of struggling offenses throughout the league. The only optimistic view the rest of the way for the Patriots is they have to learn and figure out who they are in the bye week and change it completely coming out of it. And that is rare to do in the league. I haven't watched this Patriots offense so bad. yet. Yeah. It, what, what part of it? Like what, what Mac Jones, do we get the downfield Mac Jones? Do we get just like the, no. which one did we get? Nothing open, nothing creative. At, he's dropping his eyes after that first read and trying to escape the pocket. And then, when that doesn't happen, pressure is being allowed by the offensive line. It's so clear he doesn't trust anything at the moment. Yeah. And it's very clear that these individual skill players can't really get open in their routes either. Ramondre is the entire offense because he can, you know, create on his own and no one else can. No one. Ramondre is the RB2 in fantasy usage. So obviously that's with Damian Harris banged up. So we'll see if he can get back. Um I do want to mention the Patriots offensive line has been a disaster and they keep rotating players. And this is with, uh, without Dante Scarnecchia, we need to, we need to get the, the old guy back in the building. Cause this is not, they have not been looking comfortable back there. And I, I wonder how much of it's the O line. New Orleans saints. So Andy Dalton's had an interesting season. It wasn't good against the Baltimore Ravens, but I actually think the Ravens pass rushing group is going to improve as we go along because they're getting healthier and they've added Justin Houston. Everyone's getting a bit more comfortable there. Um, but Andy Dalton is completing 71% of his passes when not pressured this year. This is why we've seen really good seasons for guys like Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara and so on and so forth. But when he is being pressured, like on Monday night, that drops down to 48%. However, his pressure rate this season is 32nd at just 27% of his drop back. So I think that this is definitely something we should keep in mind with Dalton and the Saints offense moving forward. If they're going against one of the best pass rushing units or better pass rushing units in the league, then we can get bad Andy Dalton performances, which has not been the season, to be honest with you. I also think that like the, the 32nd in, in pressure rate is also just because he just gets the ball out so quickly. And I think that's limiting the offense in some ways as well. So it's all, all of these things kind of eating into each other, but um, it's not like Jarvis Landry is probably close to coming back probably next week. And I think that will have some slight impacts on Alvin Kamara and uh, Chris Olave, but they are locked in to their roles right now. I think this is a very straightforward offense. Uh, I guess Taysom Hill is like the wild card and 
Adam Troutman comes back, Jarvis Landry comes back, um, I, I would be pretty skeptical about saying Taysom's first half stats are going to keep carrying over down the stretch. And I'm not saying Andy Dalton's good, but I'd say that Andy Dalton's been good Andy Dalton this season, if that makes sense to anyone out there. Mm-hmm. New York Giants are coming out of their bye. They had a loss just before it uh, to the Seattle Seahawks, who we have now seen as a great defense across the league. Uh, they shut down Daniel Jones's rushing, which had been a staple of this team. They shut down Saquon Barkley, uh, and the Giants were also without two starting offensive linemen. It sounds like heading into this week, uh, Evan Neal is still working on the side. But they get the Houston Texans this week. The Texans defense that has allowed, you know, four massive rushing performances so far this season. So I think Saquon Barkley is going to be the chalk. Yeah, Saquon Barkley is my number one positive regression candidate uh, of the week. Uh, is there a single other giant you can tell the people to start? No, and a lot of people are going to say Wandale, Wandale, Wandale. No. Um, I think we've outlined in multiple episodes of this very show that Wandale is a short to intermediate middle of the field player. And that does not create the archetype of a game breaking rookie wide receiver. Yep. Nailed it. New York jets. Let's talk about two players here. First up, Michael Carter. Um, Michael Carter had his best week in week nine and it's massive for 12 carries, 76 yards and a score. One target, one reception for 10 yards. Uh, The reason why I say it's his best week of the season is because he created yards in his own with eight forced missed tackles, 73 yards after contact, and namely on that play where they finally were able to get to the edge in situations where Brees Hall shined and Michael Carter was making the most of them in this game. And in order for the Jets to be successful, it's great defense, which we saw, and it has to be the running game and and you know, the backs creating big plays. And it's so easy to see that Carter has that ability more than James Robinson does right now. Yeah, clearly Michael Carter's best game of the season. I'm glad that the broken tackle rates and all that stuff were backing that up. He was not breaking enough tackles and that was not getting enough yards after contact coming into this game. That's why his numbers were down, but we saw the best version of him. Uh, and I just think he has way more juice. I think anything on the outside, if they have a, a specific uh, call um, on the ground that needs for uh, for an explosive play, it will go to Michael Carter. He had um, 14.1 and 8.6 expected half PPR points in the two games since Brees' injury. Um, James Robinson had 11.2 last week, so there is a, definitely a one-two punch here, so we need the Jets to be winning some games, but after last week's performance against the Bills, I know that this G- Jets defense is legit. Whether they're top three, top five, top ten, doesn't really matter. I know that they are good, um, and Offense just with Brees gone and Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims kind of rotating, it's only going to Garrett Wilson. So, for fantasy purposes, we at least have Garrett Wilson. Uh, we had to sacrifice Elijah Moore, who's only playing in three wide receiver sets and an offense that's going to use a fullback, use a second tight end, and all that stuff. So, Elijah Moore is toasted, but Garrett Wilson's got some serious athleticism Damn. and he's going to develop, I think, quickly because he has the athleticism, the ball skills, and all that stuff. He's still kind of sloppy in some some areas, but that's where you get some NFL development. I think this thing could really start going. I'm with you on Garrett Wilson. That first play that you all saw, that was his first catch of the game where he puts his foot in the dirt and he immediately gets up the field and turns a six-yard gain into a 12-yard gain. You don't see that type of movement every single Sunday. And then that one, it's a pressure look from the Bills. Uh, we know that in that case, the wide receiver has to win off the line. Garrett Wilson does, wins inside immediately. And this is so crucial for the Jets moving forward. 
Uh, we've seen Zach Wilson have a time to throw rate of about three to 3.1 seconds for the room for the entire season in this game, which arguably was his best this year was at about 2.3 seconds. And so in order to minimize the potential for mistakes, they are drilling it in his head to hit his back foot and get the ball out. And in order for that to happen, either the play calling has to, you know, create spacing and opportunities immediately, or you have to have wide receivers who went off the line and Garrett Wilson wins off the line. Um, he's a really, really fun talent to watch. And he fits in this category of guys who just move differently. And those attack my heart each and every season. Yeah. Right now, uh, these only the wide receiver 45 in usage over the last month, but he did have 12.6 expected half PPR points last week. We just need the jets to have neutral game scripts for him to kind of, be. and I don't think that there's any reason for Elijah Moore to start playing over Denzel Mims. Right. It just seems like they're kind of stuck with that. So let me ask this question. Cause this seems going to their buy and they have the Patriots after this. Um, Corey Davis is expected to return that after too. the bye week. So I believe Corey Davis got injured in week six. Prior to that, Garrett Wilson was spending the majority of his snaps in the slot to the tune. Like in week three, it was 40 in the slot, seven out wide, 35 in the slot in week four to 18 out wide. I think we've seen some of his best work out wide this season, you know, especially in those out and ups. And you can create those in the slot too, with, you know, two players on one side of the field. But it certainly doesn't feel like, and sure, he played a lot more snaps this past weekend in Elijah Moore. It doesn't feel like Elijah Moore is still in great standing on this team. So could we see, let's hypothesize, could we see the wide receiver room being Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Denzel Mims instead of Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore? And I think in that case, in the first one with Mims staying on the field, Garrett Wilson's natural spot is predominantly in the slot. Yeah, that's certainly possible. Um, I think I think the problem though is just like the Jets standing in like fantasy usage right now. They are sixth worst over the last four weeks. So if you add Corey Davis back into the mix, so it's like a good conversation. Like with Garrett Wilson, we know he's good in Dynasty. Already do your victory laps. He's going to be good this year. The rest of the season, when Corey Davis gets back in the mix, I think that we have to keep him as like a wide receiver three. But um, I'll take that, especially for where you're drafting him. Shout out to Ron. If you guys aren't subscribed to Ron's channel, go and do it. I, I want to mention this. Yeah, Ron is doing this damn right, doing it very well. It, Shout Ron. out to Ron. Shout Big out to time. Ron. Uh, since you're here, Ron, I'll, I'll say it. After the bye weeks, I'm betting the Jets over the Patriots. I, I just believe in the structure and the stylings that the Jets have right now. And... At the very least, if we can get away from the heroic style, the try to make a play when nothing is open style, which Zach did this past weekend other than the fumble, um, to me, there is no doubt that the Patriots team is just better than the Jets at the moment. Or, excuse me, the Jets team is better than the Patriots at the moment. The Patriots just uh, have nothing going offensively in consistency at all. There we go. All right. I will not be joining you on that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> that's why my, that's why I was silent. <laughs> Let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Dallas Goddard is tied in three this season. Nine targets, eight receptions, 100 yards, and a score. Uh, the coolest thing to me about Dallas Goddard is that he can attack everywhere, and the Eagles allow him to attack everywhere. By that, I mean it can be short patterns. It can be those awesome tight end screens that 
we outlined with Josh McCown. And then against Houston, you see a bunch of these hole shots as well uh, in the open areas of the field that are in the, in, in the intermediate portions. And um, it's awesome to see from a tight end like this that didn't have the full-time role until last season. Yeah, he's really, really developed uh, yards after the catch, contested catches, could block a little bit as well. Um, like, yeah, he's just the all-around player. He's leading the league in EPA per target, not just tight ends. That's all players with at least 25 targets. He's been exceptional for them. So uh, we, we, it's always the same thing. Like the Eagles have been passing the ball a little bit more than they were the last couple of weeks. Um, definitely last game included, but there's still probably only enough volume for two of the three superstars to eat. So one of them, there's a little bit lower floor versus some other players, but Dallas Goddard among tight ends, like you said, like it's hard not to rank him as a top three option. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the Philadelphia Eagles? Because I mean, it's a team that not everyone can hit every single week, as we've seen with, you can't deny the individual talents of AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, you know, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, so on and so forth. Um, I just love it that, look, they play who they play, who's in front of them. And if they get slowed down for a quarter or two quarters, then they are able to climb out of that and produce offense in a short amount of span that, um, Picks up a lot of consistency because they have so many players that can, you know, win after the catch and win in isolation as well as, well as a scheme that is so balanced to me. Yeah, I think the Eagles are really good. People are overthinking this team. <laughs> I agree. I agree that they're overthinking them. Pittsburgh Steelers coming out of the bye week. Uh, my biggest question is Chase Claypool because 462 snaps of his have disappeared. So are we going to get more 12 personnel with like Zach Gentry and then maybe Pat Fryermuth as a pseudo tight end slash slot wide receiver? Or is Steven Sims going to be that motion jet sweep slot man that we've seen a little bit recently with him too? I don't think it's going to matter. It's all, this is all about George Pickens post by rookie bump. This is the first post by rookie bump that I've actually been excited about this season. Um, and if you guys aren't new or if you guys are new to the channel, post by rookie bump means at the end of the year, these rookies typically have an uptick in usage, usually after their bye week, once this, these teams kind of figure out their pros and cons and they get the ball to some of their rookies. And we have it in two phases here. We have Kenny Pickett, hopefully could take a deep breath and learn some other things about uh, the offense. Matt Canada hopefully can make some changes on his own, right? And then they get rid of Chase Claypool. I mean, right now, the, where the Steelers have been in, in kind of wide receiver usage, I know they've been super inefficient and this is kind of misleading, but they are like seventh or eighth in wide receiver usage over the last month of the season, you can, could potentially be cutting this down to primarily two options because of those other names that you mentioned, I don't see them getting more than like three, four touches per game. San Francisco 49ers also coming out of the bye. Uh, we have an entire video from Maddie on the channel about CMC's impact on the offense and how he's being utilized differently than any other running back that we've seen in San Francisco. Um, what stands out to me is last time we saw that against the Rams, there was no Debo Samuel and all of the receptions that Christian McCaffrey was getting early on in that game forced the linebackers up and up and even the third safety and Taylor wrap up and up. And that allowed for us to get George Kittle in the intermediate sections of the field. So finally we get all of their playmakers out there and I'm super excited to see what the uh, 49ers might be rest of the season. Really interesting what they're going to do with Debo Samuel specifically because his A dot is like Rondale Moore. It's like only like at five yards downfield, and that's pretty new. He was winning, he was absolutely dunking on my model last year, yards after the catch, but also on these deep targets. Yep. Yeah, we have not been seeing 
nearly enough of those. I do wonder if with Kittle in the lineup and with CMC, if we get Debo Samuel on the outside more running some of these deeper routes. I think Jimmy G quietly, don't sue me, don't cancel with me. You. Middle QB2 rest of the way, like a mid-range QB2. I think that he's QB2 streamer. I think that if you are in super flex leagues, you should draft him. He could be good with the talent around him. You can make an argument that the best skill talent in the entire league. You've heard me talk for like four years on programs like this. I've been out on Jimmy Garoppolo. I've been enjoying the Jimmy Garoppolo experience this season. He's been better this year, for sure. And I think as we go along, the offensive line, especially the interior, can continue to gel a bit more. Uh, 49ers, more than frisky. Like the dark horse, I think, to make noise. My yeah, I agree. The team's good. I I do wonder if the team's gonna get too good and there's too many mouths to feed that we kind of mm-hmm. get frustrated by some of these players. The defense, uh, they were really banged up and that allowed the 49ers to kind of have com- a couple outlier games going into the bye where they were trailing and throwing a lot of passes. That's why like Ayuk's numbers were great. Debo Samuel's gone. I do wonder with the defense better, more mouths to feed. It's gonna be very inconsistent production kind of from all of these pass catchers a little bit. Defense is a lot better. And defense, you know, it's it's went down once the injuries hit and kind of not been as good. Uh, do you want to say like Debo can win downfield? Like I oh, want yeah. to see that more often. Last year, one of my favorite figures was just his wide receiver production. If you take away all the rushing, he was still top 15 wide receiver in facey points total. Um, so more vertical Debo can make this team even more exciting and open up even more space for everything else, especially with Jimmy. And I don't have the numbers to back this up. Just I test alone. feels like he's testing outside a bit more often. I will say we have um, NFL playoffs best ball in the lobby. I would get some exposure to these 49ers. I think they're going to be very much uh, in in the mix down the stretch. We also have this um, Thursday night football, and uh, I think we're in in Munich this week. These are kind of a fun slate. It's it's, it's four person uh, drafts, and there's four teams. So each team gets a quarterback. Each team gets a legit tight end. There's a lots of crazy stuff in the lobby. And then the other thing I want to mention with battle Royale, our our main slate, we've changed up the prize structure. First place is 35,000 instead of 50,000. We flattened this thing out. A lot of people have been asking for that. And uh, we're going to have a little bit less top heavy prize structures uh, in the battle Royale streets. And it's a great game. Look at this, the small slates, lots of great content. Uh, I'm going to be going on a show called badge bros. They're also on YouTube. They preview um battle royale every, every single week i'll be there on thursday great game go play it dfs it's amazing link in the description down below yep if you're going to play dfs this weekend play battle royale instead it's more fun it's way more fun uh let's go to the Tempe buccaneers or excuse me first seattle seahawks um seattle it's one of these teams that continues to win in that they create holes for themselves and they're good enough to pull themselves out of it which might not have been the case with Geno Smith in the past. This is who he is in the present. And he's great under pressure now. You know, he's sticking in there and thriving and hitting the third, second, and these vertical shots to Tyree Kill, or excuse me, to Tyler Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf. Uh, did want to bring this up for Kenneth Walker 26 carries, 109 yards, and two scores, four targets, three receptions, and 20 yards. I love this game from Kenneth Walker because. It wasn't the home run swing that we had to see from him each and every week. Instead, it was a little chunk gains over and over and over again. So we've seen every single styling from KW3. And all that we get is just an awesome freaking football player. He's so strong, too. Like, that's like another underrated thing about him is like he's not 225 pounds, but he certainly runs like it. 
Uh, great game. Uh, only other note is Tyra Lockett is leading all players in completion percentage over expected on his targets at plus 15%. He's done, done this for like five straight years. Uh, and he's absolutely smashing again. One of the most underrated players in the league. Um, I don't care about those, those videos where he's like uh, not going after the catch. He's kind of sliding. I, I actually just love it. Um, I'd rather have him healthy and he's go, going to work and unquestionably Gina Smith's a top 10 NFL quarterback. It's un you cannot argue it. This is the stickiest quarterback play in the damn league. For real. Seahawks have won four games in a row by at least two scores. Good. Look at that. What a team. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Almost done with the show. Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, Kate Otten. People want to know about Kate Otten. Okay. Six targets, five receptions, 68 yards and a score. And the people want to know because of just, you know, how depressing the tight end position is. What's your read on Kate Otten? Because mine might be slightly different than yours. Well, it really depends when Cameron Brait returns, which could be this next week. Uh, Kate Otten in those games without Cameron Brait, 7.8 expected half PPR points. That makes him somewhere around the tight end 10 in usage. Uh, he had a season high last week at 12.2. I think that Kate Ons has shown me more as a receiver he, uh, than he did as a prospect where he was supposed to be kind of this run blocking blocking type. And I think he's kind of underwhelmed as a run blocker. What, what's your thoughts on, on Kate on that? He's just not as involved as maybe his numbers make him out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes from one catch in the first quarter to not another catch until the fourth quarter. And like a lot of his big production and sure the bucks overall weren't very productive throwing and maybe it does say something that when they started throwing it to him, they were more productive at the end. But, you know, it's a position that if you want to, like, make your home each and every week in lineups, like, you have to be in, like, the flow and the rhythm of the offense. And it just felt weird to me that he goes from the first quarter to the fourth quarter with, like, absolutely nothing in between, even without, you know, Kim and Brait on the field. But, like, look, that seam that he hit, I do really like that he's fulfilling the seam stuff because – that's where Gronk oh made his living over the last few years. And we haven't really seen that out of anyone consistently with Tom Brady. And maybe there's just some trust that's building there. But I, I would say that I'm not in fully on like full-time player Kate Otten to start no. in your leagues. But this could be something to come back to in a couple weeks. I think the upside is there. Um, Lots of other topics to hit on. Chris Godwin is the current wide receiver two in usage over the last month. The problem Big problem. He's the wide receiver 34 in actual production. So, and then Mike Evans is the wide receiver three over the month in usage wide receiver 24. This is a outlier on inefficient offense for Tom Brady right now. I saw a report and I do really like this writer. Greg, Greg Almond's been covering Florida teams forever. He said in like a kind of predictions down the stretch. One of his five predictions is that Rashad white is going to play more than Leonard Fournette. Now, will that be this week? I'm not sure, but um, we at least have a chance. We've talked about it. One, if Leonard Fournette, the reason he was playing was for pass pro, Rashad White at points this season has been better in pass pro than Leonard Fournette. And just every time he touches the ball, there's more juice to it. There's more juice to it. I do remember, though, because I think it was a a Nance and Romo game from this past weekend where sideline reporter said that Rashad White basically took himself out and said, hey, the team needs you right now. Lenny, go back in there. Just a weird dynamic. But the Bucs are just weird right now. And to your point, Chris Godwin, I think, has the second most targets this season without scoring a touchdown other than Deontay Johnson. Have you noticed anything on film? No, 
No, neither of I. It's what's so frustrating. It makes no sense. I would it guess feels like he's he's in the exact same places, um, doing the exact same things. It's just like, you know what it is. My trusty inside the red zone numbers, Hayden. The Bucks are third worst in the league this year in red zone touchdown rate. They're around the Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots, Indianapolis Colts, and Denver Broncos at 44% in terms of their red zone drives ending in a touchdown this season. But to me, like the red zone stats can get pretty fluky. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And that kind of explains why my m- model's been dunking on them. But I think that's going to self-correct to some right. extent here. I guess you can make a slight argument that is like yards after the catch skills haven't been all the way there for Chris Godwin, but I've seen him make plays like here and there. It's just, they've been just kind of sloppy. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if I should redact Chris Godwin because he's Chris Godwin. This makes no sense, right. but this has been multiple weeks in a row. And obviously he's got the ACL injury and the offense just doesn't look that great. So I'm, like, I don't know where to rank him next, next week. It's so long. It's such a long season. Think of how different, through the first three weeks, we thought about certain split backfields and dynamics, and then we might get a three or four game stretch of like a Rashad Penny esque, you know, campaign or performances. Maybe we get that from Chris Godwin down the stretch because, like, and I, I, I'm not talking myself out of it. Like, of all the teams that are severely struggling across the league with losing records right now, the Bucks are the team to me that can right the ship and go on a winning streak. Yeah, I agree. Next week. You're you're ranking Chris Godwin for me. I refuse to do it. It's on you. We've gone from Marquise Goodwin to Chris Godwin. Um, I mentioned those red zone numbers. It's even been worse over the last three weeks. Uh, just thirty three percent for the Bucks too. So I just need to flip it. Let's Not flip. Great. Tennessee Titans. Just two more teams here. Uh, I want to talk about Malik Willis, even though he like might not start. It's weird. It was first coined as like a illness for Ryan Tannehill. Why he didn't play? And obviously now it's more of an ankle. Um, Malik Willis has a long way to go. This is the issue. And it wasn't just his first start or a second start. It's also during his time at Liberty. Uh, as you can see here, pulling up passing charts from each of those, uh, he just does not see the middle of the field. And that's a really big issue to play quarterback in the league. Um, so I do think like there is some, again, success in the ground game because of the gravity that he brings and the rushing ability that he brings. Cause he looks damn fast like he did in college, but he is, and it makes sense. He was a third round pick, not ready to be the NFL starter at this time and needs just a lot more development. Yeah. They're going back to Tannehill. This now I will say the, the Titans are a kick your ass team. And I was super impressed with their defense. I've never seen like corners and safeties, be as aggressive as the Titans. I posted that clip of this meme of this guy smacking the shit out of some wide receiver. That's what it felt like in the pass game. In the run game, they absolutely dem- demolished his team. Uh, Derrick Henry looks amazing. They don't have any wide receivers, and they can't pass the ball until Ryan Tannehill gets back. I, I, I think that what they were doing with this ankle is they didn't want to admit it was an, an ankle sprain initially. That's why they said it's an illness. So then teams would prepare for um, Ryan Tannehill, but they knew that it would be Malik Willis. These, these frabled... Uh, Guys are uh, sneaky. We need we need Diana Rossini. We do. Let's get, let's get, <laughs> get inside, inside information. People out there. All right, let's go to the Washington Commanders. Guy, I thought this was going to be a short episode. Uh, Curtis Samuel, four targets, three receptions, sixty-five yards, and a score. I should have asked Weaves. Shout out to Weaves, who's cutting all the clips for us. 
to get the one with the referee falling down in the back half. I hope people have seen this up by now. Um, I have nothing to say about the commanders. I mean, it's just a, a miserable team for fantasy at this point. And you almost live and die by Taylor Heineke's. If his gamesmanship is going to connect on plays or if he doesn't. And then if the contest catches that he throws up to Terry McLaurin or Curtis Samuel, the flip of a coin, if those hit or not. And like, that's what you're rolling. You're rolling, you know, you're flipping coins. And if this is going to be successful, very fun offense with Taylor Heineke <laughs> per Twitter. Um, yeah, this is, it's an unserious organization. Is that how we're going to end it? It's just, I got to go to the gym. I, I got to get out of here. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. Thanks everyone. Uh, appreciate you kick and Trevor and diggable and on hell uh, and scampers as always in El Nino. Uh, we'll be back here on Thursday rankings and tears Friday 15 of our guys for week 10 and on Friday scheme with Josh McCown taking a look at uh, Justin Fields and his ascension into playmaker promo code the show hundred dollars deposit match good stuff let's do that be sure to tell one friend about the channel one friend all of you challenging you send a text to your buddies invite them over up the villa we'll talk to y'all soon see ya <laughs>